0: Blog
1: Talk Radio. Blog <clears throat> Talk Radio. Good evening everyone and welcome. This is T Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a Reiki Master and certified sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where we are streaming to you live as we do every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Our chat room is open, so feel free to join in the discussion that's going on online now. We do keep an eye on the chat room, so if you have a question, post it, and we'll do our best to get your question on air. As an alternative, you may also call us directly by dialing 347-202-0227. And I watch the queue as well, so if you have a question and you want to ask it, you can simply depress the number one, and we'll take your call. Tonight we're here with... Author Dr. Bernie Siegel, who has written several best-selling books, including Love, Medicine, and Miracles, Peace, Love, and Healing, 101 Exercises for the Soul, 365 Prescriptions for the Soul. He's written other books as well. And the book that we'll be discussing tonight, A Book of Miracles, which is packed with true inspirational stories of love and healing and gratitude. It's a wonderful book. Dr. Siegel first wrote about miracles when he was a practicing surgeon and pioneered ECP, Exceptional Cancer Patients. It was a groundbreaking synthesis of group, individual, dream, and art therapy that provided patients with a carefrontation. And Bernie has this safe and loving approach that facilitates patients' awareness of their own physical, spiritual, and psychological healing potential. And The Book of Miracles is a compilation of stories from his over 30 years of practice, as well as his speaking and teaching events, telling us about the healings and miracles that he has seen and or facilitated. So good evening, Bernie. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. How are you this evening?
2: All right. I mean... It's hard for me to not start talking immediately because just from your introduction, I'm thinking about. You said you're a sound therapist, and I, I guess it was Elizabeth Kubler Ross who talked to me about music and how it affected people, and I started playing music in the operating room, and
0: since I was not a musician, you know, I
2: found things that helped me feel better and be at peace, you know, not not distracting music but healing music. And mm-hmm. I was called. Oh yeah, this will interest you. Imagine walking into an operating room with a tape recorder when they have explosive gases. So you're plugging <laughs> in an electrical appliance, and they told me you're in a hazard. You'll blow us up. You'll. Well, within a week, nobody complained. You know, everybody felt better. So it was okay to take a risk. And uh, yeah. twenty or thirty years later, studies have shown that if you play music in an operating room, uh, you know, the operation finishes sooner, there's less pain, fewer drugs needed, and so forth. And, again, it was, you know, what was the miracle in it? That even though people are anesthetized, they are still hearing you, and that their consciousness is still working. So what I said to them, what music we played, jokes that they heard, they began to talk about these after surgery. And, again, that's what changed the staff, you know, because they began to realize maybe Siegel isn't crazy. Maybe there are benefits to this and how we talk to people. So, to me, those are the miracles um, that I see, how powerful your words are, especially coming from a doctor. I did a lot of children's surgery. So I realized my words were hypnotic that I could use an alcohol sponge to clean a child's skin. See, because we're going to put a needle in. And I would lie to them. I would say, "This is a new pad It's going to numb your skin so you won't have any pain from the needle. Don't worry. And a third of the kids look up and say, that was so good. Why don't the other doctors do that? No, some of the <laughs> others would say, it still hurt, or I felt the needle. Um, but, you know, it wasn't the panic and the worry about, oh, he's coming at me with a needle. And the other was that they would fall asleep going into the operating room, literally on the stretcher, I mean. Mm And why? I began to think, what's going on here? Then I realized, you're telling them in the operating room, you'll go to sleep when you enter the operating room. I mean, when I was in the emergency room, I'd say, we're going upstairs, and you'll go to sleep in the operating room. They took it literally. I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about anesthesia. What they heard was, when you go in the room, you'll fall asleep. (laughs)
1: Sure, it was a suggestion.
2: Yeah, (laughs) that, you know, how the body is trying to help us. And, uh, you know, it is part of the miracle, too, how it responds to your beliefs, to feelings of love, and a whole host of things.
1: I I agree, and I think that your book, as I'm sure everyone tells you, is so very inspirational and thought-provoking. I truly enjoyed it immensely. And, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that you put it together so that we all could read all these different stories, that it's a type of book where you may read it from cover to cover, but you will go back and pick it up mm-hmm. and maybe read a different thing every day. And Inevitably, it's what you needed for that day, whether yeah. it's at the end of the day or to start your day.
2: Well, I think what so you the, see in the book is what's in you, so please remember yeah. that. I mean, you complement it because of what you are like. Um, I've seen this out lecturing where people say, Oh, I heard you before. I'm sorry I came tonight. And the next person says, thank you. That was inspiring. And so much of it is what's within us. And that's why I say to people, read the book, mark places that mean something to you, then reread it a few months later. And if new things come off the page, then you're growing and changing. Because I see this on a personal level. Yeah.
1: That is so, so true. And, you know, it's funny because miracles, well, they're really not something that anybody can explain especially from a scientific perspective, nobody can really explain right. what a miracle is. But for me, and I, I say this when I do, when I play my bowl of sound therapy in concert and there's a group of people in the room, I remember once I said to everyone, raise your hand if you have ever seen or experienced a miracle. And I was in shock because only one person raised their hand. And I thought, wow, wow, that's crazy. Because, and everybody looked at me and I said, I bet all of you have experienced a miracle. And they said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, first of all, you're here. Right. And if you've ever had a child, be it a father or a mother, you have either, you know, birthed a child or fathered a child. That's a miracle. The fact that you get up in the morning, the way that your body works, you really need to start looking at your life yeah. as a miracle. I was in shock. I really was. I thought more people would have gotten it by that point, but they didn't. Well, and that was of You
2: you said it. You and I agree. People say to me, "Would you you know, define a miracle. And I said, life is a miracle. How did the planet get here? How did the universe get created? Why don't you bleed to death when you cut yourself? Or why doesn't the sap leak out of a tree? Or why don't bacteria die when antibiotics are dumped on them? Because we're capable of changing our genes. Because healing mechanisms are built into us. That's what's fascinating. So, you know, if you say a miracle is something you can't explain, yeah, then life is a miracle. Uh, Right. (laughs) And and you have to accept it that way and to understand it. Um, I always say I live by my experience, not my beliefs. So if I see something happen, I know it's possible. The potential, that's the word I often use. I know there's a potential, even if I can't explain how. You know, other doctors get mad at me and say, oh, well, you know, there's no study, no control. no de-. You know, I said, but I'm telling you a true story. And that's yes. what I learned to do, tell stories so we didn't have conflict over statistics and where you read about it and, you know, all kinds of craziness because they couldn't accept what I was telling them, even though it's true, you know, about a patient or some other life experience that's happened.
1: It, it, yeah, I agree with you. And I, I've had uh, actually working with the National Institute of Health or trying to in getting some information from them and they've said, well, do you have any concrete evidence? And I've said yes. And, you know, I have a woman who had a mask on her breast and the next day she went to the doctor and the mass was gone. Yeah, but do you have anything concrete? I'm thinking that's pretty concrete. <laughs> you know, she, she she had a mass on her breast. They wanted right. to do a surgical biopsy, and the next day it was gone, <laughs> you know. Right. And, and I write these things down, and I keep it. But, you know, in the woman that that happened to, she believes that that was a miracle, and it was. And I explained well, to them, I'm not doing, you know, anything. You're healing yourself. Yeah, I'm just helping right. you facilitate that. Yeah. Yeah, see, That's
2: something I woke up to because, you see, if they had biopsied it and then it disappeared, what does the doctor say? You had a spontaneous remission or a Mm move, you know? And even when people, I know so many people who are in our support groups who are doing well, and they tell me, oh, the doctor said to me today, you're doing very well, whatever you're doing, keep it up. And my thought is, hey, dumbbell, why don't you say (laughs) you're doing very well? Can you please tell me all the things you're doing so I can tell other patients? Right. Because Solzhenitsyn in his book, um, Cancer Ward, used a wonderful term that meant a lot to me years ago. One of the men says, oh, I found this medical book. It says here there are cases of self-induced healing, not recovery through treatment. And then it was as though a rainbow-colored butterfly fluttered out of the book. And when I read Mm -hmm. that, I thought, yeah, he's had cancer. He understands. It's Mm self-induced. So you'd say the miracle is built into us, but it's not an accident. It's not unexplainable. It's self-induced. And how do you do it? The rainbow is order, harmony, rhythm in your life. And the butterfly is the transformation symbol.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So you transform, create this new authentic life with harmony and rhythm, and boom, your body gets the message, and wonderful things can happen. And I right. say to people, don't be afraid of failing, because that was the other thing I saw that when you offered help to people, oh, you know, I, I might not do it right. What if I don't love enough? If I don't have time for your book? If I can't draw a picture? I mean, whatever. They were so afraid because of how they've been brought up that if they don't get better, you know, they'll be the failure. And I've got to add one more because in the book, one of the stories, a woman goes to bed at night and, and our body does communicate ...to us through dreams and drawings. Jung knew that 90 years ago. He interpreted a dream and diagnosed a brain tumor. And nobody ever is told that in medical school. But anyway, this woman goes to sleep. Uh, A female doctor appears who looks a little foreign, has a bit of an accent, and says to her, you have a cancer in your right breast. She wakes up, feels her breast, and there is a lump, and goes to the hospital... Biopsy, it's cancer. Before she gets dressed to leave, into the room walks the woman doctor from her dream and says, Oh my goodness. Back to what she said in the dream. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is a cancer, but, you know, we'll take care of it and you're going to do well. And walks out. And, you know, I mean, you'd say, Where does that come from? But it's, again, about our consciousness and and what creates the miracles, the energy, the love, the intelligence that's out there and available to us. But if you don't quiet your mind, that's something I've learned. If you're frantic, worrying, uh, it doesn't work. But when you quiet your mind, I always compare it to the still pond. If you want to see who you are and your true reflection, no turbulence, then amazing things come to you.
1: It's so true, you know, because and you can plug into other people's energy and she was obviously seeing something that was going to happen, almost like a premonition, but in in reality, I mean, everything's energy. You can manipulate it, it's pliable, you make it work for you. And if you do it positively, you'll have positive results.
2: Yeah, there's a book out now by a friend, Bill Bengston, called The Energy Cure. He has cured people, but also mice, with hands around them. And conducting the energy, and I've had mm-hmm. injuries, which and I didn't believe in this either. Olga Worrell, who was a mystic and a healer, a good number of years ago, I had injured myself training to run a marathon, and my wa- and she was speaking at a medical meeting, and my wife said, "Honey, go over and ask her to heal you." I said, "It's nuts. I'm not going to go over mm. and to do something that's crazy." So my wife went over and said, "Alga, would you help my husband?" <laughs> she came over, put her hands on my leg and it was like two hot irons, and within mm-hmm. five minutes, I got up and walked away perfectly well. And that's yep. the same thing Bengston talks about, that heat. And I always say, see, if he can cure mice of cancer, that I believe in, because they don't believe in him. You know what I mean? That's it's right. It's not, yeah. you know, a mental thing, because that I know from medicine, that people think they're getting chemotherapy, think they're being radiated, and due to errors, they're not, and yet their tumors shrink and they have side effects. And so the doctors aren't aware that the radiation machine doesn't have any radioactive material in it due to a repair, you know, and they forgot. And these doctors' minds are blown by it because when they do a routine inspection or check something and they realize, oh, my God, I haven't treated anybody. But the patients acted as if they were treated so the doctor never realized it. And that's how powerful, you know, our mind is and all the things that are, as I say, just built into us and what they can accomplish.
1: So It absolutely is. Give it a I mean, shot, That's i always saying. Yeah. yeah. I'm a Reiki master, so I do that energy therapy right. work with my yeah, hands. Yeah, you mentioned that. And, yeah, people come in, and I work on them, and then I play the bowls. And, you know, I've seen amazing things happen that people would say is a miracle. And I just think, well, you finally know how to heal your body. Because your body knows what to do, and it knows right. how to heal. It's just that it needs a little kickstart. You, know? you have to get the message.
2: See, what people don't realize is our chemistry is what communicates with our genes. The genes don't decide. In other words, if you have twin sisters, one is a sweet kid who internalizes all her emotions to please her parents, and the other one drives everybody insane and is living her life and doesn't give a damn what her parents think, Um, the sweet kid is more likely to get breast cancer than the other kid. So, you know, that's why I always say to people, when you rebirth yourself, change your life, uh, understanding you're mortal, and living, well, the line I love is, you let your heart make up your mind, then wonderful things happen, because your body suddenly realizes, oh, you like living? Okay. You know, there's so many stories out about people who are told they have a couple of months to live, spend all their money, you know, having a wonderful couple of months, and then at the end of that time, they're out of money, but aren't dead, (laughs) (laughs) Because they are so busy, you know, having a good time that their body responds.
1: And that's a good kind of problem to have. You might be poor, but hey, you're here.
2: (laughs) You always read about them in the paper because they want to sue their doctor for their mistake. And they are always saying, it wasn't a mistake. You changed. And, you know, sometimes these are, I mean, these are people I know. I have so many stories that... You know, you learn you're going to be dead soon. You move to Colorado because you love the mountains and want to die there. You buy a house on the ocean so you can meditate and watch the ocean. Uh, you shut your law office and start playing the violin because your parents wanted you to be a lawyer. You wanted to be a violinist. and oh, Or my landscape gardener friend, uh, when I told him, I can't cure your cancer. You need more treatment. He said, no, it's springtime. I'm going to go and make the world beautiful. So when I die, I'll leave a beautiful world. About 25 years later, at age 94, he died, you know. Um, But he spent his life making the world beautiful. And let me say that. This is an important point, I think, that came out of the book and all the stories that were sent to us. That when you stop thinking about yourself, I always say the biblical (laughs) line, I place before you life and death, good and evil, that choose life. It doesn't say choose what's good. Because that could be interpreted by somebody, you know, in a selfish, egotistical way. I want to do what's good for me. But if you choose life, then you're doing what's life-enhancing for everyone. And what I find in these stories is when people choose life, that's when the wonderful accidents, you know, coincidences begin to happen, which are not coincidences because that's when they're creating their future with a different consciousness, and then you could be, you know, there's one story, you're walking through the woods, you would love to write a book, you've lost your job, you're starting to do other things, computers, and who do you meet in the middle of nowhere in the woods? A guy who's an author, who helps you. Mm -hmm. Now, how the hell do you, you know, what's he doing there? Or that couple who's driving across the country and their car has trouble on hills. I mean, they were discharged from the service, so they were going to drive home and enjoy the trip. And then they realize we can't enjoy the trip. There's something wrong with our car, and nobody knows what's wrong. So we'll drive at night so we don't bother people, and we'll sleep all day. But then in the middle of the night in Nevada, they come to a hill. They see a car behind them. So they pull over so they won't get in the way. You see, to me, that's the gesture. They don't say, the hell with him, let him creep up the hill behind us or pass us. But they pull off the road to let him by. And he pulls off and stops, which makes them nervous. Until he says, you have a Pontiac Le Mans and I'm one of the original designers. I know what's wrong with your car. There's a hose that's sucking <clears throat> too much gas. And he sticks a pencil in it and they drive you know, home uh, yep. as tourists now enjoying the trip and uh, no trouble on hills. But you think, how do these things happen? But again,
1: the synchronicity and not
2: self-interest. They're doing what's right, and uh, you know, living in their hearts and caring about others and about life. And then, boom, the things happen.
1: That's true. And the synchronicities that come up, I think a key part of all of it is to be aware and realize when these things happen, and to show gratitude because when you show gratitude, I think you're you become even more aware and more wonderful things right are something that you see happening in your life. Maybe they were yeah. going to happen anyway, but you're seeing them with a different set of eyes. And I'm sure you heard this story this past weekend. The woman in California that a, a truck an 18-wheeler hit the back of her car, oh, yeah, and it right. went over the side.
0: Right. And then the
1: CBs just happened to come. They just happened to come along with right. a forklift that happened to be an extension yep. forklift to hold up the car so her and her two kids could get out. If that's not timing in a miracle, well, you know. Yeah, I was feeling
2: I, that should be in our book. You know, we should write another yes. book and put that one in it. Where did they come from? Why are they there at that moment? Yeah.
1: hmm. Yeah.
2: And that they're you all trained to
1: help and do that, yeah. Yeah, and it just—it was a beautiful, beautiful yeah. thing. And, and some people just looked at it and said, wow, that's really cool they came along. And I thought, no, that's way more than cool that they came along. <laughs> it's
2: just yeah. so much more. Yeah, because if it, you talk you know? to them and said, why were you here at this moment? You know, I, I often say to people there are things called spiritual flat tires. Because, you know, I was doing so much traveling, flying, and and Jung said the future is unconsciously prepared long in advance and therefore can be guessed by clairvoyance. And, you know, he said also, oh, because this was interesting. He was in Africa during a drought studying native cultures. And the native said, we're calling it a rainmaker. And when the guy came, Jung went over to him to say, how do you make it rain? He said, I don't talk to anybody. And he went into a hut, locked himself in. And within 24 hours, it starts to rain. Then he comes out. And Jung said, Why wouldn't you talk to me? He said, It's the consciousness of the people. If I spend time with them, I can't make it rain. So I go in and I meditate and it rains. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, if he can do that, then if I'm living the right life, I won't have my flights canceled due to weather, you know, and fog. And, mm-hmm. and I mean it. It was absolutely incredible. And let me tell you one I should have put it in the book. We get on a plane to fly up to Canada and the plane is packed, and they make an announcement. There's a blizzard up in Canada. We may not be able to land at the airport. We have intentions of landing at, so we will need extra fuel. Therefore, we're asking for volunteers to leave the plane. Well, by the time they were finished, everybody on the plane got off, <laughs> but my <laughs> wife and I and two other people, because uh, they were all scared to death listening to the pilot. We take off. We get there a couple of hours late. I go in and I say, where's my next plane? Because we got to make a connection. And they said, you're two hours late. It can't be here. I said, yes, it is. I said, the pilot <laughs> our plane is the pilot of the next one. And again, who figured that out? You know, Because there's right. nobody on the plane. We had chatted with the pilot and where he was going and realized they're holding the next flight for him and us. And those are the things mm-hmm. that just... Happen. So why do I say spiritual flat tire? Because if you were headed for the airport and you got a flat, what do you do? You start <laughs> cursing and I'm going to miss the plane and God damn it! My yep. comment is, wait a minute. You get to the airport late and you find out the plane you missed crashed. Hey.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah.
2: God. And how many times that happened even on nine eleven when people had yes. to go pick up clothing, get something for their kids at the drugstore, whatever it was, and therefore they were late to work. Yeah, but they weren't You know, it it it's late. funny
1: because... I had this conversation with someone the other day, and a woman came, I go to yoga three times a week, and a woman came into yoga, and she was so upset, and she was going crazy because, you know, the cars were going so slow, I didn't think I was going to make it here, and I'm screaming at the car saying I have to get to yoga, and I start to laugh. And she says, what? And I said, and that's how you're coming to yoga. I mean, this is really funny, you know. So she says I said, it's supposed to be peaceful and calm and very Zen like, you know? And she goes, Oh, you know what I'm talking about, T and I said, You know what though? Why don't you look at it a different way? Why don't you look at it like maybe that guy cut you off and then went slow because something was preventing maybe an accident from happening and you weren't gonna be involved. Maybe it saved some you don't know, you'll never know. But if you change and just look at it that way. And she said, Do you do that? And I said, I'm human. I try to do it as much as I can. There are times when I can't, I'm human. But I do know that I got in my car, I started to drive to the grocery store, I got about a mile down the road, and all of a sudden, I was almost hearing, turn around and go home. So I said, okay, I went home, and I didn't know why, I just went home, and then about an hour later, I said, okay, now you can go, and I left for the grocery store. Now, I have no idea why that occurred, but I try to listen to my inner guidance and do what I'm told. It just makes sense, you know. Yeah,
2: sometimes you don't um, beat somebody at the drugstore, you know, or you could have avoided something. I do that too right. when I get in the car, you know, and I'm going to a routine place and, the, and I hear the voice say, take this different road, and I go that way. Now, I don't know what mm-hmm. i may have missed or not, but I literally hear the voices.
1: I, Thank I, you, me I too. can't
2: remember all the things <laughs> I mentioned in the book. But, well, I have to laugh. L- Lily Tomlin always said, if you talk to God, it's called prayer. If God talks to you, it's called schizophrenia. But, again, right. I found that when my mind was quiet, most often when I'm out mm-hmm. walking you know, exercising, some routine uh, exercise, like riding a bike or jogging, I I have heard voices, and I know the voice, and I listen to it. It,
0: it, Yes.
2: We're not going to get into details, but I was asked one morning, how did your parents meet the day my father was going to die? I said, I don't Um, know. The voice said, ask your mother when you get to the hospital. Because I asked that question, my father died laughing because she was talking uh about early dates. Um, I have written a book, Buddy's Candle. When I finished the book, I walk out of the house. A voice said, "Go to the animal shelter." I walked in. There's a dog sitting there. What do you think his name was? Buddy. Yeah, he'd been there less than 15 minutes. and His name was Buddy, so I took him home.
1: Mm. I mean, oh. You know,
2: and, and I've heard messages from dead patients, and I've had yep. mystics bring me messages from my parents, and you know who they've never met and don't know, and I know how accurate the description is of my parents mm-hmm. and what's going on and uh you know like that boy that 4-year-old who almost died and his father finally wrote a book heaven is for real you know he couldn't believe his kid and what he was telling them you know i met jesus and um right but when when he put it all together he realized how many truths his son was sharing with him about meeting you know other people that were in the family and so forth and all that happened so i know that as I said, all from the dreams and the drawings, that people know the future because they're creating it. And so they can put it into symbols when they can't put it into
1: words. And I don't know how many times I deal with a lot of cancer patients, and I don't know how many times I've said to them, you can create the future that you want. Right. Be on my team with me. Work with me. If you don't come in and say, you know, I had one woman come and say, well, I want to spend this last summer with my daughter, and I said, oh. Oh, don't put that out there. Let's just work on this. Right. And we worked on it and worked on her and worked on her. And I knew. I knew that, you know, she's just not, she really is intending this to be her last summer with her daughter. And it was. And it was a shame. You know, and I thought, oh, okay, well that's her journey. That's what you know she's meant to do. There's not a lot I can do about it, but you know, you try to help them as much as you can. And I think the thing is, I try to explain to people why is it that we buy into this? Why do we think oh, life can change in an instant? And any time anybody says that, they think oh, a horrible diagnosis, a terminal illness, a car accident, a fire, you know, a job loss. Why doesn't anybody ever think you won the lottery, you met the your soulmate, you got the job of your dream? Nobody thinks of the positive part. They only think life changes in an instant and it's always bad. No, there's always somebody who's got a better toaster, so well, find I that person.
2: i tell you why it's so hard for people. See, I buy lottery tickets all the time, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm waiting to see. I have fun every morning looking up the numbers, and, okay. um, you know, and I have... Well, it's, again, the potential. The odds, are they good? No. But could I win? Yes. And the same thing with the disease. So on the one side, you have somebody like Ernest Holmes, a founder of Science of Mind, who said, what if Jesus was the only normal person who ever lived? I love that (laughs) sentence, and I know he's smiling the way I was when I read it. But you see, the other side is, you have parents who say, you're a failure, you embarrass us. We dress you only in dark colors because we don't want people to see you. Her words were, my mo- this is a quote from that woman, my mother's words were eating away at me and maybe gave me cancer. They, even the eating away, you end up with mm-hmm. weight, you bet, because you become self-destructive. And that's what happens when you don't grow up with love, which the majority of the world doesn't grow up with. So you don't see this you know, in a way of let me love myself, create my authentic life, and see what comes of it. And I always say, especially to the women, see, uh, and these are quotes: "You have cancer." Well, I have nine children. I can't die till they're all married and out of the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When did she die? Twenty years later, when the kid right exactly left home. So I want her. to, I always say, I want you to be one of your own daughters. When the kids leave home, what about you and your life? And men will say, and I, again, these are quotes. I can't work anymore. What's the point of living? And his wife and children are sitting next to him. I pointed that out. And another wife called me and said, you know, you were helping my husband a lot until he went to his oncologist who said, you can't sail your boat, play tennis, or work anymore. And my husband just committed suicide. Now. I always say, if a doctor told me you can't work anymore, I'd say, you write that on the prescription pad, it goes on my refrigerator, so my wife will leave me alone.
0: <laughs>
2: you know, I mean, it's how do you see it, you see? It, it, the meaning of my life isn't what work can you do. See, I can contribute love to the world in many ways. You know, sitting in front of a computer, writing a story, giving somebody a hug. I don't have to work to make a difference in the world and that's what I hope right. everybody'll understand. You know, I years ago one of my meditations was how can I help people with and travel less? And the message back from nature was you spread seeds. A plant doesn't have to go anywhere. The seeds are carried. And and that really hit me because I I know now I'm known all over the world, you know, have I been mm-hmm. all Places? No, but the seeds have spread. And it is such a gift to be able to have that happen. So, that of itself is a miracle.
1: Yeah, you know, just putting love out there, and I'm constantly saying to people, I don't know, I think love is just so easy. You just put it out there and be. Just be the love. And they look at me like I'm crazy. (laughs) And you say, you know, it's not really hard. It really isn't. It's all the flack you get back that you have to learn to just say, okay, I can't let that affect me. If somebody tells me something that I can't do or gives me, I got a diagnosis. And I looked at the doctor and said, yeah, okay, that's not going to happen. And he mm-hmm. said, what? And I'm like, no, you know, you're the guy that takes care of that. I'm out of here. And I left. And he called me at night and said, what are you doing? You know, you've got to come back. And I said, no, you, you take care of that. I'm done. I'm done. That's your, I, I have too much on my plate. i got to step away from the buffet. I'm done. And he took care of the issue. Now, I had to go through a process, but it right. was okay. You know, I knew.
2: I'm not doing that. Well, I just received an email from a friend about the um... – you know, soldiers who peed on dead yes. Afghan, um, and it was a comment uh, from an article saying that you know if you haven't been a soldier you don't understand. And he was saying what they did was wrong and they should be punished, but not in some you know critical way. That there are certain punishments for acts like that. And you know, I wrote back something about loving. You know that. Um, that I agreed what they did is wrong and they should be punished. But we need to become more loving, you know, and say, like, love your, you know, thine enemy and eliminate enemies. And I shared some stories from people I've taken care of. I mean, people who have been sexually abused, HIV positive, and say I'm going to commit suicide. And I say, no, we'll get a gun and we'll kill your parents. And this teenager said to me, I never want to be like my parents. Mm-hmm. He looked, and fortunately, the train he was going to jump in front of was late. So he ended up calling the suicide hotline, and they rescued him and taught him about love. You know, and this was another story came out of a book by Fulton Orsler called um, Modern Parables. That's what it was written about 50 years ago. But this story blew my mind, too. You are a minister in India. No, in Korea, Korea. Not many people are coming to the church. You're a Christian minister. And he's very upset and disappointed. And his two sons keep telling him to have faith and just work with the people and things will be okay. He goes off to work with some lepers, comes home, and his sons have been murdered. They, oh. The police are able to capture the murderer who confesses. They're in court. The judge is about to you know, execute this man, declare that that's his punishment. When the minister gets up because he's hearing his sons keep talk about forgiveness and love and he says, it will not help anything if you kill him. It's not going to bring my sons back.
0: Right. So why
2: don't you let him come home with me and become one of my sons? And he puts his arm on him and they smile at each other and they walk out of the courtroom together. And the person telling the story said the silence was incredible.
0: Mm -hmm. But,
2: you see, that's the part. You know, what I was saying is, what if those soldiers created a memorial, you know, for the dead Afghanis? Right. You know, because when you hate your enemy, and I say this with disease, too. You know, when you're waging a war, you empower your enemy. Mm -hmm. bring love in. Oh, what a weapon.
1: Love and acceptance and forgiveness, because yeah. forgiveness, when we forgive others, it's actually helping us. Right. You know, it's, you know they say, don't even you know. You have to
2: understand why they did this. You know, like that man in the article was saying, you have to be a soldier. You have to be a native, you know, to understand what tourists don't understand. But when you understand, then you can forgive why they well, did
1: and this. It's perspective, too, because somebody, when uh, uh, that that woman that was on trial in Florida, uh, Kaylee, Mm -hmm. her, I can't remember the name, and somebody said, you know, do you think she did it or not? And I said, you know what, it's really not up to me to judge, number one. And I have to say, I believe that there's a huge puzzle that we're all a piece of. Mm -hmm. And if I were in her shoes and lived her life from the moment she lived and did exactly what she did, I'd have done whatever she did. We all would have, because somebody has to have that puzzle piece. So I just figure, you know what, I don't know, she's got to live with herself, she's lost her daughter, whatever's happening is happening, there's a reason for everything, uh, I I can't say, but you well, got to try to... The
2: miracle becomes when the curse becomes a blessing. See, what I say to people is, when you're going through a problem, if you stop and say to yourself, how can I love my fate, and what am I to learn from the hell I'm going through? Then it becomes a teacher thing versus I'm depressed. And it's not going mm-hmm. to be depressed. I could get sick, and that's more depressing. But if you said, I'm depressed, well, let me put it in another way. If you're hungry, what do you do? A friend of mine asked me that when I was complaining one day. I said, I get something to eat. She said, all right, Bernie, ask yourself what nourishment you need for this problem. And, boy, that was such a gift. <laughs> that not the problem becomes as i say part of the solution because you say all right why am i feeling this way why did this happen what do i need to look at in my life what do i need to change and that's when the miracles start happening not when you're cursing screaming yelling um you know and then your mind cannot focus and not accomplish anything um one of my uh, friends her name is amelia kincaid she's an animal intuitive and i had no belief in that stuff i met her at a conference you know to help animals, because we also have a house full of creatures. I'm always saving. (laughs) Um, But she said she's an animal intuitive, and I thought, oh, come on, lady. That's crazy. But then the cat disappears back in Connecticut, and Amelia's in Los Angeles. So I sent her an email, and I said, okay, find the cat. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's dead. You know, it's missing for a few weeks. Well, a couple of days later, without even a photograph of the cat, she said, the cat's alive. I can see through its eyes. Her description of our house and all the other pets was such total detail that I went out and picked up this cat the next morning. And I, I wrote something that became a part of, you know, one of her books because I said, I can't deny what she did, you know. I mean, if she tells me where the garbage cans are and where the cat is, I mean, and she's sitting in California, I mean, I know what she's speaking is the truth. And... uh so that's why. See, to me, is that a miracle? Yeah. But mm-hmm. potential is there. And the reason I brought it up is Amelia is always saying to me, like, if um, I can't find the dog or one of the cats, is, you know, is gone and I'm screaming, she said, Bernie, that's not how, how you do it. Quiet your mind and mm-hmm. get into the animal's mind. And that really has amazed me. Because we have one cat, no matter how high you build a fence, she jumps over it in the front yard. <laughs> And but I've learned to just say hope, you know I'm worried about you. It's nighttime, predators out there, you know. And boom, she's at the door. And you say, how does she know? How does she even know which door I'm going to open? But you know, she'll appear, and is there, and it's just absolutely incredible. But that kind of thing makes me a believer, because when I quiet my mind, I know where the animal that I'm looking for is and what they're thinking.
1: And they can pick animals are very intuitive. They usually know things before we do.
2: They're crazy intuitive. You know, I mean,
1: you can start to get a cold, and the animals are around you all the time, and you know, I'm going to get sick. You know, or something. Yeah, when
2: I'm sick, they're on my chest, loving me. Mm -hmm. When I'm sleeping late because I'm lazy, you know, they're waking me up to let them out. And the one I love is. When I'm going to groom them once a week, you know, fur and teeth and everything, and cut nails and so forth, uh, they don't show up. I mean, the cats right. the cats just all hide. They know.
1: Well, they're stupid animals; they're <laughs> intuitive. Oh, but well, let me,
2: yeah, let me add one more because uh, I was remembering at our son's house, he has two outdoor cats, and I take care of all of them, and he's a neighbor. And so I called the vet. I said, you know, I think they're due for their shots and the physical exam. And I said, but the only time I see these cats, you know, when I can get close to them is when I feed them. So I'll bring them first thing in the morning. And the vet said, okay. As soon as I made the appointment, the cats did not show up for one yeah. solid week. <laughs> and I finally called the vet. I said, look, I'm just screwing up your day because if you think every morning I'm coming in, you know, forget it. I'm canceling the appointment. And what do you think happened the next morning?
1: Oh, yeah, they came back.
2: Yeah, the two cats were yeah. sitting there waiting for breakfast. Yeah, so I, know. I got permission to give them all their shots. Um, I
1: think all cats yeah. do that. Mine do it, too.
2: <laughs> but it, that, me you know, see, that's the kind of thing when I say my experience is what makes me a believer, that when something like that happens, I mean, that is no coincidence. They have to know more than, you know, just an accident that they showed up on that day.
1: And I think that's true. People, most of us do have to have the experience to believe it because some of the things that we experience are so off the wall that you just can't you can't believe it could happen. I was in Vermont in, I think it was 1997, and I was driving home in a snowstorm from a conference, and I skidded, went around twice, and then went over the cliff of the mountain, and landed on the top of birch trees. Birch trees are not heavy trees they bend easily they don't hold a lot of weight right. so there i am in a ford explorer and i'm uh, driver's side down and the birch tree branches are coming through the window and my car's a wreck and you know those cell phones at the time were horrible and they were these great big things and yeah. here i am in a crawl out of my car and a guy comes along walks to, comes down reaches his arm and pulls me out now i'm standing on the road and i'm in a suit you know and So he goes to talk to somebody, and this woman comes up to me and says, Come sit in this car. So she puts me in this this white SUV, and she says, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. And I'm looking at her, and and she is dressed as an American Indian, moccasins and everything. It's February. She's dressed like that, and she says, don't worry, everything will be okay. Don't talk to anyone. And she walked away. So this gentleman comes over who pulled me off the mountain. He says, oh, this is my car. And I said, I'm sorry, someone told me to sit here. And he says, well, where do you live? And I told him, and he said, oh, I live one town away from you. And I said, seriously? It was a six-hour drive. Hmm. (laughs) He waited with me. And we called the police, and there were so many accidents they couldn't come to this one. Drove me an hour out of the way to pick up the forms I needed, and then drove me back. But before we left, I said to well, him, I want to thank that, that woman. He said, what woman? There was no woman here. I said, yeah, the Native American Indian. She was here. She had moccasins. And he says, I think you're delirious. There was no one here. I said, no, really, there was. And he said, no. Now, you can't tell me that there wasn't.
2: That's right. You
1: just can't. You just can't.
2: No, you got You know? Well, See let me I have proof of that too. I think I mentioned in the book. Um I was asked in a you know, in a support group kind of retreat setting, uh, Carl Simonton many years ago, uh he was training people and he said, We're gonna do guided imagery and you'll meet an inner guide and he was working with cancer patients and I thought, This is crazy. I cannot buy this stuff. So I sat there just looking at him on the stage. And then I noticed he was looking at me. So I thought, oh, God, he knows I'm not. Sure. <laughs> so I closed my eyes to make him happy.
1: Right. <laughs> and I
2: happened to be an artist and very visual. And so the things that then happened were incredible to me. But he said, you'll meet another guide And this fellow named George shows up who disappointed me. You know, I mean, George, I mean, <laughs> you know, nobody knows you. But he had a big beard, full head of hair, cap on his head, Um, that was a peculiar shape, and a beautiful white gown. And, you know, we talked, and he was my advisor. And then one night, I'm out lecturing, and I had this outline that I followed, you know, the way a surgeon would lecture. But I noticed, you're not saying what's in your outline. And then I noticed, what you're saying is better than your outline. Just go ahead and talk. So I talked for a couple hours, and afterwards... The first woman who came up to me from the audience said, uh, I've heard you before. That was better than usual. The next mm-hmm. woman said, standing in front of you for the entire lecture was a man, so I drew his picture for you. Mm-hmm. George. I mean, That's you, you can't mistake that beard. And after speaking at a funeral, everybody had left. I was alone in the hallway in the building. The... Al Gawarl, the healer, happened to know this man also. And she came over to me and she said, Bernie. I said, Yes. She said, Are you Jewish? I said, I don't understand the question. I'm speaking at a Christmas <laughs> funeral and you're confused. She said, No. The man standing next to you, there's a rabbi. And I oh, wow. described him and it was George. And then I understood why he had that hat on his head. You know, it was a little <laughs> cap that was like a, you know, a prayer cap. And, um, I mean,. <laughs> But, again, when I know his appearance is not that of a normal person uh, and everybody tells me what he's wearing and his gown and his sandals and, yeah. And so, again, how do I explain these things? They're You can't. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I played in a concert in Connecticut and a woman came up to me and said, I opened my eyes because it's a very meditative experience. Most people lay down on yoga masks, but some people sit in banquet chairs. And I'm playing and she said, I looked up and there was a man – following you around. And I said, there wasn't anybody following me around. She goes, no, no, you don't understand. There was a man following you around. The music was absolutely beautiful. And she said, he was helping you. She said, I think it was Gabriel. And I said, well, I think Gabriel's kind of like my guardian angel, so that could be, you know? And I thought, how did she see this? How did she know? But I think the first time I realized that you could make changes in your life and manifest things was when I was probably three or four years old. I remember waking up Christmas morning and my mother told us we were brought up in a Victorian, so there was a parlor And she said, don't go in the parlor. Santa's still there. And if you go in, you won't get anything. So, you know, that was a dare. So I went in, and there was Santa sitting on the couch. And I, oh, I was just thrilled, and he winked at me, and I ran in the kitchen, and I started to cry. And she said, what? And I said, I went in the parlor, and Santa was there. He's going to take everything away. And she started laughing, you know, and she thought it was funny. And, of course, Santa didn't take everything away. 30, 35 years goes by, and I'm talking at a Christmas party, and my parents are at my house, and I said, well, yeah, who was that guy that was dressed up as Santa that year? Was it Uncle Richard? Was it Uncle Dick? Who was it? She says, what are you talking about? And I tell her, and she looked at me, and she said, oh, my God you actually heard what I said and believed it so much that you saw Santa. And I said, you can't tell me I didn't. I did see Santa. Right. And she said, no, there was no one there. I said, no, I'm sorry. I could take a lie detector. There was no way he was there, I'm telling you. And she's like laughing and saying, no, that's not true. There was no one. And I well, knew right then and there.
2: Well, you know. I love this story. I don't know if you read the whole book, but the uh, family that moved to Germany and Christmas yes. came and the child Learn that Santa fills your shoes if you put them outside the door. Yep, Santa okay. magic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she puts her shoes out and nobody knows it. And in the morning, you know, like you said to your parents, I met, you know, I saw Santa. She says, mm-hmm. "Oh, I'm going to go look at my shoes and see what Santa's left me." And they said, and they're thinking, "Oh my God, she'll be so disappointed. We didn't know she put her shoes out." And they open the door and they're filled with chocolate and other goodies, and mm-hmm. they're all in awe. And, you know, later they learned the landlord saw the shoes and filled them. But to me, again, that's still Santa, if you know what I mean, the miracle.
0: Yes, it is.
2: You know, mm-hmm. the that, that landlord walked by, saw them, and had something to put in them. So, you know, the child still felt wonderful, but the parents were disappointed, you know. <laughs> that yeah, it was a real person.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, But it's true, just yeah. the
2: beauty of it all happening, you know, that she believes and it happens.
1: We have a synchronicity, you know, and yeah. and you can't. And I believe you can bring that synchronicity in with more awareness, with more grace, which I feel plays a huge role in all of this. Yeah. With, with more just, just being, just yeah. being, well, just being. Well, I don't be. know where
2: the sentence came from. Oh, I know where it was. Somebody who had AIDS and um, put on her refrigerator. This was years ago. You know, when it first uh, when there wasn't much you can do, no treatment. She put out her refrigerator, when you live in your heart, magic happens. True. And she became HIV negative. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so, yeah, I think that's a part of it. When you live in your heart, that's when it's far more likely to have the magic happen.
1: Yeah, the miracles happen all the time. It's funny because I've said to people, give me your car key. And they give me the car key and they say, what do you want with it? And I say, what does this do? And they say, it starts my car. And I said, you know that for a fact? And they say, yes. And I said, how do you do that? they say, I put it in and my car starts. And I said, so you put it in the ignition and the car starts? And they say, yes. I said, I don't think so. And they said, what do you mean? I said, you put it in the ignition, but don't you have to turn it to make the car start? And they say, yes. And I say, okay, so now let's think about your thoughts. You have a thought. That's the key. Now, how are you going to turn that thought on to actually make it manifest? And they're like, I don't know. And I tell them, look, your brain and your heart, two totally separate organs, but they do have to work together, but your heart is far more, far more important. You get the thought. It isn't until you put the feeling behind it, the real feeling, the real passion, the real desire, and you actually feel it and are living it in the present, then it will come to you. And then they get it.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, it just, I, mean, it just happens. I, I have
2: around the house what I call shrines. that, And I tell people, depending on their needs, sometimes to put their baby pictures up around the house so they can learn to love themselves. But, you know, with mottos, to live by. Um, and you put them around and, and they help you live that kind of life. You know, when you're having a tough day um, and you look at enjoy yourself, it's later than you think. This too shall pass, you know. And, um, you know, and and there are many more, I'll keep repeating, but still, they're there to remind you and refocus you. And that's where I think the meditation, the yoga, you know, that those things come in because they help you quiet your mind. And then more can happen, yeah.
1: Yeah, if I didn't take yoga, I would not, first of all, I'm a Capricorn, and, you know, we analyze everything to death. And I just am so, you know, I have to figure it out, I have to know the science behind it, do-do-do-do-do. And I'm always going, going, going. I do Reiki and energy therapy work on people, and I have to be focused. And the yoga does that, and meditation does that. And people will say, but I don't know how to meditate. Well, you know, you just start real slow with one minute, one minute. Just concentrate on your breath, and you can do it. And they do see changes happening within a couple of weeks when they do the one-minute to two-minute to five-minute. It does happen, and and you kind of like it. You kind of like where you are when you're in that space. It feels good.
2: Yeah, I often tell people it's like erasing the blackboard. You know, you clean the slate. You have a blank canvas. I mean, one of the -hmm. things that came to me that worked, because reading, you know, being instructed about mantras and other things, Um, we have... We have twins, so we have six birthdays, seven people, but six birthdays. And um, I don't know how it came to me, but I just started repeating the number of the day they were born on, you know, like three, nine, fourteen. <laughs> 14. And I noticed how it quickly cleared my mind and and put me into a meditative place because these are people I love. I want to send them love. And no matter what was bothering me, <laughs> boom, you know, those simple numbers just brought me into another place. That, and I may add for people to just laugh for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> Studies have shown the benefits with cancer patients and others, and I'm always testing these things. You know, I do it when I'm walking the dog so nobody will think I'm insane. But I realize how beneficial it is to just laugh for no reason and how hard it is to stop laughing after you've done it for a few minutes. You just feel better.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and if you and it's funny because I, people are always thinking about the next step, the next step, and I'll say to them, you know what, look at children, look at how they play, see them playing, they're not thinking about what's for lunch, right. they're not thinking about what's coming down the road, they're just in the moment, they're drawing, they're coloring, they're fighting, they're doing whatever, playing with the trucks or the dolls. They Little kids, you can learn so much from, and animals, watch an animal, they're completely at peace.
2: Hey, you, they breathe properly. Right. <laughs> You and I have had the same experience, so we sound so alike. You'd be amazed. Mm. I mean, I'm always saying to people, WWLD, and they say, what are you talking about? I say, ask yourself, what would Lassie do? See? (laughs) Um, So it is. The children and animals are focused in the moment. Let's have a nice day. I'm not worrying about next year. I'm trying to have a nice day. And they become our teachers because that's what it's about. In the moment. And
1: unfortunately, we destroy it all by sending them to school and teaching them all the good stuff they need to know. But the schools really need to start teaching them this. This That's needs to be a major component. You know.
2: The grades <laughs> go up, too. I mean, you know, when you look at the different studies of teaching meditation, it affects, you know, your intelligence and your grades. I mean, all these things are benefits. And, uh, and most of all, I think when you do it, the kids know they care. You know, they're being cared about. And it makes such a difference. So they then begin to take care of themselves because they realize, hey, we're important. Um, You know, I go to schools and I always say to everybody, if you need a father, I'll be your father. Because (laughs) I want them to know I came because I love them. Right. The kids walk out feeling so much better. And, I mean, just maybe a half a dozen kids will get in touch with you, not 150, you know. But (laughs) they need to know that they're loved. That's the message then they don't need to drive you crazy.
1: Well, and that's true too. You know, it's funny because I think everybody needs to be able to do that and when I'm teaching kids how to knit, I knit. I'm a big knitter. And when I teach the kids how to knit, they're like they're right with me. And it's all about them. And you need to have people feel it's all about them all the time because you don't know where they're getting that in their life. They might not be at all. So you need to acknowledge more. I don't care if they're zero or 99. You know, it needs to be acknowledged how special they are in that moment. Now, you're going to walk away, and you're not going to think about them that much because you have other parts of your life to do, but that's okay. In the moments where you were giving them that full 100% attention, they really loved it and Special needed it. things
2: happen. Yeah, one child, and you can become a CM. This was a suicidal teenager that I was helping, and she said to me, you're my CD. I said, what are you talking about? How can I be a CD? <laughs> she said, you're my chosen dad. So I can honestly tell you that there are p- kids alive today because I said to them, I love you. If you need a father, I'll be your father, Um I said I don't like what you're doing, and you know, because some of them called me to help commit suicide. You know. To help. Yeah, yeah. And I would say I love you. You're a child of God. You know, do some drawings for me. You know, let's, you know, and talk. And, and oh, and the other was change your name. See, become a new person. And you know, all these things like their eyes light up, and a new life starts. And uh, it's it's just such a gift to me as well as obviously to them.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: uh, You just connect with that person and it's something, you know, you can't describe in words the gift that it becomes to help somebody survive and feel worthy
1: absolutely you know and people have oftentimes said like i'm just at the end of my rope and i said well, tie a knot and hang on and they'll say it's mm-hmm. not that easy t you know there's so much and i say yeah you know do you want to do over and they say yeah i really do and i say okay you can take it now start now and they say what do you mean i said oh you got another moment there you go start your do over now well yeah. you just missed that one now you got to do the next one and they're like what are you talking about and I'd say every moment is an opportunity for a do-over
0: right
1: you just have to look at it differently, and as hard as that is when you're down in the dumps, it's so much easier to be happy. It takes a lot of work to be depressed.
2: Yes. I, I'm There's always saying to people, if I had to summarize it all, it would be love your life and love your body. And it mm-hmm. depressed me years ago at a retreat with all the you know, well-known author, guru, you know, self-help therapists were there, and I was one of the speakers, and I was sitting at the lunch table with all of them, And they were all talking about when they were suicidal, which blew my mind. Mm Because I thought, how can you get up in front of all these people and tell them to live when you were suicidal? And two things. One, I said to them, I've never been suicidal. They said, you're not normal. We know that. But the other was, I, I understood later that what they were saying is they were looking at suicide, looking it right in the face. But then they made the decision to turn around and turn mm-hmm. away from it. And another little story I read that I thought was so interesting and simple this uh, boy is on a train and he's seeing the beautiful scenery and he's, you know, a depressed kid and he's so happy to have a nice scene. And then another train goes by and he can't see anything. And he tells the old man next to him, you know, how terrible his life is and how this train, and the old guy says, hey, look out the window on the other side of the train. Is another window. Mm-hmm. No? It's like you what know, you're saying to people. What a simple solution. Look out another window.
1: And we just had someone in the chat room say you just need permission to allow yourself to change, and that's true. And we're out of time. I can't believe this hour went by so yeah. fast, Bernie. It has been such a great discussion. Thank you. I can't how good it's been. And um, your book, everybody can get it at um, Amazon.com, correct? Yeah, and
2: through my website, I don't know if you mentioned it, Bernie Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L, BernieSiegelMD.com. There's articles. They could drop me notes and purchase things through it, too. And, oh, um,
1: great. Yeah.
2: And I say this. You don't need permission, okay? Everybody out there, you're divine children. You deserve it. You don't need to get permission from anybody to love yourself and your life.
1: I think they meant like from themselves sometimes. Yeah, I, I know. That's yeah, that yeah. part. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But, but let your you heart make you. up your mind. I appreciate your time and I know the listeners thoroughly enjoyed this discussion. Thank Bless you so you. much. Thank you. You Please. have a good night. Okay. okay. All right visit my website quantum-wellness-center.com don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio I am your host T. Love here at Energy Awareness Radio intending you and yours a most wonderful week take care and stay well bye bye